With product marketing in particular too, like what are the goals for not just the launch, but six months, three months, six months, 12 months down the road for this launch? What is going to show that this launch, this product is successful? How do we continue to adapt the GTM motion to make this product meet the one and two year goals around this particular initiative or integration? You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today I have Mike Lubansky with me. Mike is a Senior Vice President of Product Management at Comply, the global market leader in regulatory compliance. Today, we're here to talk about some of the ways the roles of product management and specifically product leadership have changed in the era of growth and scale through acquisition and that sort of thing. So, but before we jump in, I'd like to give you a little background about Mike. Mike is an accomplished product leader in the B2B SaaS space with over 15 years of experience and a proven track record of creating creating software solutions that delight customers and drive revenue. Mike is relentlessly curious in the exploration of new product ideas and use cases. He uses his entrepreneurial spirit and his passion for working cross-functionally to build successful product teams and successful solutions currently in the regulatory compliance space and also previously in the wealth management technology space. Mike is a graduate of Yale University, He has an MBA from UNC Chapel Hill. Mike is someone that I've recently come to know, but I consider him a friend and a colleague, and I'm really glad to have him here to talk with us today. Mike, thank you for agreeing to join us. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. No, great to be here, and thank you for for having me. Definitely have enjoyed getting to know you here in in, the, the recent times, and I've enjoyed the podcast as well as I've become more and more of a listener, a lot of great uh, discussions that you've had with with others. So happy to be here to have a discussion with you as well. And I'm sure we're going to have a great discussion today. Mike, I gave a thumbnail of your background, a real 45, quick 45 second. But what I'd like to do is maybe have you take a few minutes and share with the audience how you got here. Executive level product leader for a large, moving, fast moving company. Tell us a little bit about your journey to get to this point. Yeah, so like a lot of people, probably. I mean, my my journey and is one that's definitely been nonlinear in ways. I you know finished business, fit business school two thousand nine, which was not the best time to be looking for a, a switch. And I'd been previously more in uh, sales, business development as kind of my uh, background, and I was looking to shift to something a bit more strategic, and somewhat ended up in product management by you know by acting won't say by accident, but the, it being the right place, the right time in terms of circumstances and I uh, ended up joining a company in a different vertical as was the first job I had in the financial technology space although I'd been involved in finance uh, some things in business school and different things and and originally in a business development role actually um, but with a project I was going to be doing relating to pricing separately aside from the sales business development part because I was trying to shift into some other strategic things got to work on a pricing project with the CEO these new projects and these products were being built really out of the financial crisis for banks, uh, community regional banks. And so I got exposed to the CEO. These products hadn't actually been built yet. And so he said, hey, he saw something there and kind of brought me into the product management role. And I had the opportunity then to build out these two, two new products that were meeting a need 
that hadn't been there previously that came out of the financial crisis and got to you know shape the not just building the product and working with engineers and translating the the you know the requirements for the engineers into uh, or from the business, from the, the uh, regulations that were out there, from our customers into something with the engineers and building it, bringing it to market, working with marketing on getting it to market, being the person that knew the most about the product and being a relatively small company, getting to wear the hats of working with marketing, then working with sales and actually getting it sold. And then even on the implementation and then um, kind of end end implementation integration and then building out a team of folks to handle each of those different things. Now I've seen kind of evolution of you know, product management and product leadership and kind of taking on additional responsibilities in different ways. And, and, you know, from us, from small startups to larger companies to now in, you know, in a company where built out the product function, but then became part of a larger organization as, you know, acquisition and other things happen. So it's been an interesting journey and a lot of, you know, great learnings along the way. It certainly sounds like it, Mike. One of the things that I'm intrigued by and you alluded to this earlier, is the number of people that come to this role from some other discipline. And you said it's not intentional. It just seems to be a collection of being in the right place at the right time. I'm curious when you stand back, look at what's happened in that 15-year period or what have you, what have you seen sort of change? Take a look at the scan and say, what, what's especially when you think about product management leadership, and product executives, what do, what do you see that's shifted or changed for you, at, at least? I mean, I think that there's, and this has been maybe a function of some of the places I've been, or just a function of the times for a product from a product leadership or a product management perspective. There's definitely you know continued demands and balance uh, between making sure that you know product managers and even myself there's the right balance between adequate time for the strategic work, the market research, the competitive analysis, the understanding of the landscape, in addition to all the management of tactical execution and customer issues and, and so forth. And, and, and so really the balance of strategical, I think that, that all the product folks, you know, that are, are the teams I've worked with that want to focus on some of those strategic things. It's easy to get really tied into a lot of the, the tactical execution and customer issues and firefighting that has to happen. So preserving and working with that team to preserve the balance uh, for the team and for myself is something that's continued to be a challenge at, at times. And then I do think, and this ties into, I know a lot of what probably, you know, the, the GTM perspective of things that we may talk about some too. Well, it's interesting because you come from a sales background, right? And so you, I'm having either had a quota or certainly look to generate the business side, pure business side. Nothing is more pure business than you think about BD, business development or sales role. And and, in many organizations, to your point about thinking about or talking about go to market, the companies we still see are still more a sales led or sales driven motion that's go to market. I'm curious when you think about your background in sales and sort of where we sit today, is that still relevant or do you see other factors starting to come into play? Are there, are there, is there a different set of rules out there now that you see? As far as, uh, I mean, I think it's still in many ways, um, oftentimes a, a sales driven motion, obviously, you know, um, product continues to be involved in different ways and it depends on the organization product marketing uh, of course, as a, a function is something that's grown in prominence that plays a, a large role in it beyond just the broader marketing function uh, as well. I think, you know, the idea of product-led growth kind of depends on the product. And even within like a company, 
you know, the, some of the companies I've been in where there are different segments and clienteles we're, we're working with. Some have more relevance where product lo- blood growth could be relevant, uh, where we may have experimented with it some more on the SMB side, but maybe more challenging in some of the, you know, the larger enterprise or mid-market customers as well, depending on the segment that you're, you're working with. So long short to say, like, I do think it's still in many ways, though, parts of it are, are very sales driven in, in a lot of organizations and, and what I've observed, but there are other aspects and hybrid models of sorts where, again, marketing products and sales are working kind of more hand in hand. Of those three principles you mentioned, actually, I guess if you count product management, sales, product marketing, and, and just traditional marketing, is there a, a, a change in the way they, they come together to look at this problem? Are people, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing on this because it seems like, and I'm an outsider now, I'm not, I'm not inside an organization, but it seems that people are trying to pull on different levers to get this better outcomes, I would say, not similar outcomes, better outcomes. Do, do you see things being pulled together, being aligned differently than they have been in the past or, or pushing to get things further into a, a go-to-market sort of idea or, or how, how does that play out when you look at the perspective from your perspective? I think what you're saying, I mean, like I said, I've seen in, in um, organically at times, but it was but probably not scalable where you had, you know, stakeholders that could very, there was only a, a smaller group of stakeholders that, that were working together towards, towards, you know, and effectively certainly in getting it done. But as you grow in stakeholders and as you're getting, as I've seen again, the, the ways that product, you know, we, I know for what I've observed certainly are maturing certainly in our, you know, go to market process and balancing that, the aspect of multiple platforms, multiple segments and finding the right way in, you know, for product and for traditional marketing, product marketing, product and sales to kind of work together on mobilizing around like what is the content that needs to be talked about? How do we focus uh, on things? Because again, for sales, if we put too much out there around too many different experiences and products, it becomes, and, and how do we bundle these things in the right way as well? And this is actually one thing I have seen here as I, each each of the different stops I've had along the way, whether it be within one stop that morphed into another through acquisition or in some of the other stops is it's important to step back and to re, re really look at the pricing packaging dimension of it um, around the capabilities, especially as you're bringing capabilities together across multiple you know companies and platforms and or just entering a next phase of of the growth. And so that is one thing that uh, that I've certainly observed that you know each of those different stakeholders can have a, a, a role in in certain ways, but product probably especially with product mm-hmm. marketing, looking at that pricing and packaging kind of dimension. And it's important to get that established, especially when you potentially are integrating you know maybe an existing capability, but to a new customer segment. And that you know it's a capability may not seem as exciting as an entirely new capability, but the you know the GTM is equally, if not more important ultimately in terms of the planning and execution, because you have a way to monetize this thing that these other people don't know about and how do you approach them with that that capability and package it and price it and bundle it. You know, it's interesting, you raised a couple of points. I wanna just explore a little bit and keep the threads open on this. First thing you you, you were alluding to, we actually didn't allude to it, you said it, is, is that most, certainly companies in the mid-market in our SaaS space, are relying as much on acquisition M&A to grow and scale as they are on organic capabilities. 
and I'm and I know that you work in an organization that has grown very successfully through acquisition, which starts to then pull on the strings of, of the other part that you mentioned or brought up was the need to bundle and the, the drivers to then create opportunities to expand the base with existing customers and or cross-sell or upsell. When you look at your team and kind of given that backdrop, do you sort of guide them, encourage them to sort of think through that aspect of this as much as maybe in the past we would have focused on building out the strength of the, the technical stack that's involved? Because all the other elements you mentioned, like packaging, bundling, pricing, now have raised up to a, a much more dynamic, I should say dynamic, it's a much more impactful way to move the objectives of the business forward. I just wonder, do you coach, guide, direct your team to think about things a little differently than maybe you would have five years ago? Yeah, probably. I mean, or yes, I'd say in certain ways. I mean, the because when you have that dimension and there's a lot of opportunity on the go-to-market, obviously the you want to keep the innovation engine going and you need to keep talking with customers and finding the new needs and you need to keep up with the competitive landscape. And that's all important. Um, but at the same end, as you continue to both build new capabilities and, and acquire new capabilities, how do you then bring those together to where some of these capabilities can work together and can then be brought to, a, again, a new customer segment that there's a synergy perhaps that even wasn't there with the previous customer segment, that this capability all of a sudden in this other customer segment, when brought together with another capability, uh, becomes especially compelling. And there's a message to tell around that as far as like, what does this capability now mean when we bring this thing together? It had significance right. in this one segment, um, but even more significance here. And again, there's work to be done on the product end to make that actually realize it's not you just transplant the capability from one place to the other or do it in an incohesive manner, which you may start that way in the clunky manner, but eventually have to make it cohesive where it works well for the customer. Uh, and then you, you know, ultimately then can also put together the messaging to bring that to, to the I, customer. I, perfect said. I, I was going to thinking as you were describing this, it seems to me that the positioning and messaging in this environment is much more important than it has been previously. But even more so, product management probably has a primary seat around defining what that positioning and messaging ultimately leads to, right? That, that, because it has to be defined in the way that you just described it. I'm oversimplifying it, but it's the one plus one equals three sort of example of positioning and messaging. Otherwise, why would a, a customer using one aspect of this bolt on something else through whatever efforts required, unless they get something exponentially better out of it? So it, it just seems like the product team has to be really embedded in that process, more so than maybe previously, I don't know. That's that's just my thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. Go ahead. How do you judge then for yourself and for the team whether they're doing a great job or a good job or an excellent job? What, what are the, the things that you're paying attention to to sort of look at how, how the team is performing? Well, so I mean, you, look, you know, there's different metrics. I will look at it, of course, the traditional side of things from the development perspective are, are we, you know, when we have lay out a roadmap, 
and we're, we're one, developing a good product strategy, product vision that is market-based, that's bringing in insights from talking to our customers, talking to our stakeholders, talking to the sales team, talking to the customer experience team, bringing all those insights, quantitative and qualitative together to shape you know, product vision and strategy and the 12, you know, ongoing rolling 12 month roadmap that everyone is, is bought into and collectively working towards and then executing on that, of course, on the product execution, working with the, the, you know, the engineering team to get, get things built and uh, properly laid out with the user stories and everything else. But then also, you know, well ahead of time, coordinating and educating you know, with the the marketing team and product marketing teams that are going to be developing some of that content, working with sales enablement and sales on the training sessions themselves and the CX enablement sessions and everything else, all in that line of like, when you have this initiative spread out over, you know, might be over one or two quarters that you have a particular product initiative that's there, that we're, are we meeting those overall timelines? Are we equipping the sales team such that once the product's ready, they have everything that they need in order to get out and sell and that the funnel, the segment is well understood by all such that the marketing activities kind of line up with what needs to happen at the right time and that the product launch is done at the right time, not necessarily just even when the product is you know, just because it's ready, you need to calibrate it with like the right time to enter the market with that product offering as well. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. So if you were sitting on in an in your role in front of an imaginary the perfect dashboard, what would be what 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 blinking lights, red lights, yellow lights, green lights would you want to say this is good, this is not good? What specific metrics yeah. then do you do you do you gravitate toward? So I mean we have obviously we have our you know OKRs and our team of the the product launches that need to happen by a certain timeline. Mm-hmm. And the launch is great, has all the pieces that go into it, but there are the underlying metrics that we look at, just the agile metrics and everything else to see like, yep, are we on track? Are we tracking? And and we have a great you know team within both the product managers, but also with, within kind of some of the product ops folks that are, are, are kind of making sure, again, we're staying on track with those things. So those are important, of course, but then also have to track and like with product marketing in particular too, like what are the goals for not just the launch, but six months, three months, six months, right. 12 months down the road for this launch, what is going to show that this launch, this product is successful? How do we continue to adapt the GTM motion to make this product meet the one and two year goals around this particular you know, uh, initiative or integration or you know, particular product launch that's there? And what product metrics then does that tie to and make sure that cl- product is clear on what usage and engagements metrics sh- should they be watching and working with CX and and you know product marketing hand in hand to make sure that we're seeing exactly what the success metrics are for that product and that everyone is pulling on the different levers that they can to make sure that it was not just the successful day one launch 
but that that the product is building or something and they ha may have a phase one phase two phase three of this some of these things too and that you are incrementally building uh towards that with the, the metrics that you're, you're tracking mike well said it's a much more complicated job than it was when i was leading a team I would imagine you'd agree it's probably even a lot more involved and complex, complicated than it was when you started at that company you described where you had your hands and everything and were moving around the organization. If you're sort of gazing ahead, where do you think product leadership is headed? What's, what's, what's on the horizon if there's anything significant out there that listeners should be paying attention to if they were aspiring to become product executives? What, what kinds of things do you think they should be have a heads up to. Yeah, so I mean, it's it won't be earth shattering to say, but and I know a lot of your guests probably uh, will talk on the AI trend and and you know there's but it is really something that that I think is going to affect things and I know there've been other phases of AI in the past that that you know that you have and I've been through in different ways and and it is at a certain level of the hype cycle presently, but but in many ways, I mean, so far it does seem more practical and perhaps real than some of the other previous iterations. And I think of it on multiple fronts: the AI that can be utilized in the in the product to automate more workflows and make the the life of the customer easier for the job that they need to do, and how it can be done in a more efficient way when you bring intelligence and knowledge of different types together. Um, the the AI for doing your job more efficiently, and how do you get more leverage with your job of doing it, you know, in a, in a more efficient way as a product manager or as a product leader? There's times when maybe you'd be blocked on something. It's not like AI is not going to give you the answer all the time, but you give it the right inputs and coax it and guide it in a certain way, and then you can leverage it in, in different ways. And then the third area, of course, is that the ways that AI and you know, the LLMs will help, you know, potentially support customers and fill in gaps and in other ways as well. And so, you know, ultimately I do think it's something that's important for everyone to watch, you know, carefully because it's it's evolving very rapidly as we all kind of know. And again, we'll see if it hits a plateau in the stages of the hype cycle or if if it's going to keep on, you know, shooting up up into the right or or have different different plateaus along the way, but right now obviously something that is have to watch. So now I'm not going to rain on anybody's AI parade, but I'm just going to say I'm an observer, long cycle observer of the hype cycle. Of course, it's going to hit a plateau. And the question is not if, it's when, right? Where, how far will we extend? I'm curious to zero back on something you said that a lot of people talk about. And I'm, I wonder if you have maybe some examples you'd want to share. The specific area where you talked about AI being helpful was in the performance of the job, and you use the term leverage. So what are some of the things that you get excited about when you think about how the job of product management could be done better using generative AI or very specific AI capabilities and tools? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think, I, I mean, obviously in some customer segments, it's hard to get a, a huge volume of information to synthesize, but to the degree that you can, and I've seen some instances too, even in the, the B2B kind of uh, world where I've been able to get a huge volume, like more volume of qualitative data than is really easy to synthesize and analyze in a meaningful way. So to the degree you can bring those insights together and, and even bring together a lot of the discussions that happen, you know, uh, transcripts and other things, other pieces, and to try to then uh, bring that into kind of insights. Obviously, 
you have to curate it. It's not going to be perfect, but it could give like a, a starting point on certain pieces. So I think that's that's one way of of for a product manager, let's say, that may get um, more leverage. I mean, I think in the development uh, landscape, it's certainly uh, in design side of things too. It seems like it can accelerate, like if you take an idea and and then can more you know apply it with the design style guides you have there and, and have like an initial prototype, obviously a designer and product manager can work together, but maybe they get there a lot more quickly um, with that and even can even translate that into an initial prototype with some degree of code before a developer even has to really touch it. That kind of accelerates the whole life cycle of giving more leverage to give people more time to also then think strategically about some things that maybe they used to spend a little more time on the, the nuts and bolts of some of those pieces. I'm excited to hear you talk about the qualitative side that AI can contribute to because that's currently something as product managers, product experts, product leaders, we kind of dismiss the qualitative side of our work. I mean, we, 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 we know that it's an invitation if that's all we have to walk into a board meeting or a group of our peers and get shot down if all we have is anecdotal information. But you're describing something that could maybe change the value equation for that. And I like hearing that, that if you can sort it, if you can aggregate it, if you can make sense out of it, then there's value in sort of looking at the things that we know that come together that are unstructured and hard to quantify and making sense out of it. Because to me, that seems like the place where the breakthrough can happen. It's it's trying to anticipate, the data tells us things and we know those patterns well and we do rinse and repeat, but it's the qualitative things that kind of give us the insight to how do we create a breakthrough. You used the term innovation earlier. That's where the, the connection between truly innovative work and, and, and the, the, ask, the actual activities we're engaging can actually come together. So I'm excited to hear that. From your point of view, if you were looking out two years, three years, does your role change? Does it stay the same? Talk about where you think that's headed. I mean, I think that, you know, we talk about that, there's, you know, the, the AI is one trend, obviously, there's many macro things that we don't know two, five years, like what, where, where things will go with, with some of that, obviously, earlier, this is, you know, at the beginning of this year, when you talk to people, it was a certain look and feel to how people felt about things that may be a little different than how they feel about it now, or they're not sure. So, but the, the, the feeling of many has been that, you know, for, for a lot of these companies, you have to, that, that you may need to settle in a bit more, you know, or, or do more with less essentially. And that, that really necessitates, you know, uh, really leveraging the go to market, the power of the go to market. And that, especially if technology, especially if things do become the competitive advantage of building one thing. And I know you've you mentioned this sometimes and talking with folks too, but the, the, the technology part, it's easy enough oftentimes for people to, to catch up to, to one thing or another with technology and, and an AI may be a enabler of that too as we were talking about, to help kind of equalize that. So where is your differentiation is, how well do you understand the market? How well do you extend to that market? And so maybe again, for the product role, that the prominence for, or the importance of GTM and understanding it, it you know, continues to grow in the next two and five years to where it becomes an even bigger part of their job, especially again, if AI fills in some of these other little pieces that are a bit more tactical at times that where they do have more leverage to focus on some of the strategic aspects of, of you know, product and getting it to the right customers as well. 
the way you describe it, Mike, it sounds exciting and it sounds like it'd be fun to be doing your job or even the individual contributor job of just living in this time where things are happening so fast. That's great. So appreciate the perspective. You, you have a lot of passion for what you do. I've, I've seen it in other conversations we've had. I'm seeing it here and now. Where do you look for inspiration? What, what people inside or outside of industry do you turn to to kind of keep your energy level, keep you going, keep you inspired? Yeah, so I have uh, two dimensions that answer. answer. One's a bit more conventional, one maybe a little bit different. But so, I mean, while I do follow a variety of the thought leaders in the, the product space and, and probably, you know, a lot of folks that many people may follow, and find inspiration out of people like Adam Grant, who starting even back, I actually had a negotiations class with him back in my MBA program, back in his first professorship. Yeah, that's going a ways back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I followed his his kind of growth and over time, so it's followed his content. But, I, but as far as the different answer, I've also found that I actually find inspiration out of my time, you know, on vacation. And, and even though it's only a couple times a year that there's inspiration I find there that I draw out of things, not just in the rejuvenation it brings for, you know, the mind, body, spirit, but also just some of the things I've observed of, of vacation experiences of whether it's a resort or theme park. And if the, the, the carefully cultivated user experience and attention to design that has to be present there is something that is something that's inspirational and aspirational in certain ways in the strategic vision that's laid out. So two examples of the last year, I mean, I, I was on a vacation in Mexico. There's a guy named Miguel, uh, Miguel Quintana Pali, and he's a, a visionary really over the last 40 years has been building out uh, parks and resorts in Mexico and the attention to user experience and design are just remark were remarkable to me. And he has a book, it's called Zuenos, everything he has with an X around it, but X-U-E-N-O-S. <laughs> and this is a very clarity of strategic vision and the experience and uh, there. And secondly, I mean, it's widely known as the innovation of Disney, but I didn't think that much about it really. I mean, heard Duncan Wardle, the you know, former head of innovation creativity, have been in his workshops and it's like, yeah, that sounds like innovative and creative. And me not having been until I have a five-year-old, I've been probably in like 35 years, but we went this year and I saw it in practice. I was, I was like, wow, this is really like the the um, setting up uh, that type of uh, creativity and innovation and user experience and uh, vision for, you know, is something that even though these are dramatically different businesses and business models, if you can build a strategic vision that mobilizes people in that way and a product that delights people in an environment where the user may have you know the highest standards for wanting things just right, uh, there are nuggets of that that came in for, for me as far as thinking around a product vision and user experience I'd want in the products for for my you know users as well. You know, you through that explanation, and I think it's just who you are, embody one of my favorite principles. Stay curious, be curious about everything. Mike, if people want to connect with you, how would you recommend they do that? What's the best way to Find more, find out more about Mike, find out more about what you do and just reach out and say, hey, I heard it and I like what you had to say. Yeah, just find me on Link LinkedIn is probably the best place. There's not too many Mike Lebanskis on LinkedIn, so you should be able to be easy enough to find and, and that's the place to find me. Mike, I really appreciate you stopping by. It's been a fun conversation and I'll offer right now. I'd love to do it again if you're up for it and if this wasn't too too painful for you. No, it was great, Mike. I really appreciate uh, you having me on and, and it's really great discussion and thought-provoking questions and discussion that, that we had today. So I really appreciate you bringing me on. 
I, I, I agree and thank you very much for joining. And to the listeners out there, I say, feel free to download us, feel free to like us, please review us. Your comments are appreciated. We do listen, we do hear them and we do make changes based on your feedback. This has been Go to Market Disrupted. Thank you for joining. And until next time, I'll say goodbye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.